0: Welcome to People Who Suffer. This podcast is intended to help those of us who suffer or who have suffered to understand why we suffer. And because of that understanding and seeing how things are, we will then suffer less. Now, it is important for me to be repetitive about this on every podcast so that I never leave what it was that gave me the understanding in the first place that helped my experience of life change from one of really consistent mental suffering to one of a more enjoyable, relaxed, peaceful experience of life. Now, this understanding came both through a, a physical Experience and a spiritual experience, and the first of those came in the brief death experience that uh, occurred back in two thousand six. And and again, if if you have a near death experience, which is incorrectly named a near death experience, it really should be called a brief death experience because near death is not. Um, is not really what it is. I guess you could call it near permanent death, near the end, but it really is a brief death experience. And if we consider that we're spiritual beings having a physical experience, and those two things are sources of experience, when the physical ceases to be the source of your experience, then whatever you're experiencing is coming from the other source. So there was the brief death experience, and then there was... The experience of the falling away of my identity, which I go into detail about in, I believe, episode four. Um, And it's really about the greatest gift that you can have. Anyway, the point is that I will refer to these things consistently, both in what I do here, uh, in any work that I do, either with individual clients or with groups. Because these things are the source of the understanding that changed my experience of life from one of suffering to uh, one of much less suffering and initially no suffering at all. So I like to say that I am a person who has been lucky enough or blessed enough, whatever you want to say, to have a couple of experiences that help me know Experientially, the difference between who I am and who I thought I was. And today we're going to be talking about that, who I thought I was, and how that is what most of us go through life with walking around from an experience of thinking we are a certain way, thinking that we are a certain person. I have often said, that the greatest lies that are ever told are told uh, following the use of I am. So we'll speak I am this, and whatever follows that tends to be not true. I am a night owl. I am sensitive. I am afraid to do things. I am this, I am that. So any sentence that begins with I am, when we're speaking it into this physical world. And again, I don't want to get too woo-woo California spiritual, although I have so many people that I talk to who are like, "Ooh, I love woo-woo. But I'm kind of matter of fact about this stuff, because it's not honestly that mysterious and I I don't go into a real spiritual kind of sound when I'm communicating about it. It's more like I'm talking about the weather. And I'll do I'll do this often with clients. I will notice them say something and they'll say it with such obvious acceptance of it as being true that there's no hint of questioning to it. So I'll use an example. Uh, one of my clients, one of the people that I've, I've been working with recently said on a call the other day, I'm really not, I'm not an off the cuff kind of person. So obviously I need to be prepared for whatever I'm doing. And and I said, is it okay if I stop you right there? And she said, yes. And I said, okay. Um, what's the weather like where you are right now? And she, you know, turned and looked at the window and, oh, it's dark and a little, little chilly. And I drew her attention to the way that she spoke that. And I said, did you, did you have any doubts about what you just shared with me about the weather? She said, no. And I said, uh, yeah, you, you shared it with absolute certainty because it's kind of fact for you, right? And I'm paraphrasing this. I'm not really speaking it in, uh, you know, a word-for-word sharing of what actually occurred. But this is kind of the general way it went down. And she said, no, I don't have any doubt about that. And I said, I want to draw your attention to what you said right before it. When you said, I am not an off-the-cuff sort of a person. I need to be prepared. I want you to notice that you spoke that with the same sort of absolute conviction or belief Uh, that was present in your tone of voice when I asked you what the weather was like. Now, it's important for us to recognize the things that we speak this way, because when we observe our speaking and notice the clarity and conviction with which we speak something, then we can notice how entrenched we are in that belief And we actually speak most of our experience this way because we really believe that most of what we're thinking is actually how it is. Now, this girl is not actually what she thinks. And I drew attention to her uh, immediately. I said, and yet today... You were talking about the great day you had at work. Were you prepared for today? Did you prepare any differently for today than you did normally? And she said, uh, no, and laughed a little bit. And I said, okay, well, then today you were an off-the-cuff sort of person. So it's not true that you're not. Yeah, I guess. Yes, absolutely. And it reminds me of um, when I worked with uh, Chelsea and most of the people who listen to this podcast, you're going to know who Chelsea is. Uh, and for those of you who don't, she's my daughter's best friend. They have a, a wildly popular podcast called What We Said. Go listen to it. It's loads of fun. Most of you who are listening to this right now are listening to this because you know who I am, because you know who they are. So um, Chelsea, when she first came to me, uh, here, this is kind of a funny story, she... Um, <laughs> I sent her a birthday text. She's been best friends with my daughter since uh, they were, you know, freshmen in high school. So, um, so I would send her a birthday text every year. And uh, w- one year, I sent her one, and sh- she didn't answer me until the day before her birthday the next year. And I was talking to my wife, Jill. And I was feeling a little bit like my feelings were mildly hurt that she hadn't answered me. And uh, Jill said, oh, if she doesn't answer you right away, you're not going to hear from her. And I'm sure Chelsea is completely okay with me sharing this. Um, So I had done an Instagram Live with JC. And uh, one one of the surprises of that Instagram Live is that Chelsea reached out to me afterwards and said I would like to talk to you it didn't occur to me for one second that, that she would be one of the people that would reach out it didn't occur to me that anyone would reach out actually um, I just uh, did the live and shared whatever it was that I could share on that day but Chelsea reached out and she said I want to talk to you and I said great so we started talking together and then I said well what would you like to get from our time together and uh and I asked her, I said, for example, are you a, are you a person who's good at getting back to people? And she said, no, I'm the worst. I'm the absolute worst person on the planet at getting back to people. I just, I don't get back to people. And I kind of, you know, I, I, sort of already knew that that was probably her perception of herself being as how it took her a year to respond to my birthday wish text. And, um, and I said, okay, great. Um, and I, I might even have asked her, you know, what, what's the weather like right now? Actually, I think when we had that conversation, she might have been in my office. It might have been a live conversation. None of this matters. Why am I talking about this? So she uh, she said, yeah, I'm the worst. And I said, okay, well, let's do something to see if that can change. And we did something very, very simple And I said, what I want you to do is dedicate some time, uh, a a sacred time every day where you're going to, for 15 minutes, get back to people. And she said, well, that, that won't do anything. 15 minutes a day won't do anything. I'm so far behind getting back to people. It would take way longer. And I said, well, I don't want you to do that. I just want you to do 15 minutes. And then just notice how you feel. And uh, don't have any judgment when you do it. Just just do it and notice. So, and then I also said, and I want you to send me a text every day confirming that you have kept your agreement and you have done those 15 minutes of dedicated time getting back to people. So she did that. And I really only anticipated that she would do that for a week or maybe two But as she sent those texts back, she was a little bit shocked at how she felt. She's like, I feel powerful. I feel good. I feel like, you know, I can do this. And within a week of her doing this every day, she had gotten back to everyone she needed to get back to. And so we started our call the next week. And I said, Chelsea, are you you a girl who's good at getting back to people? And she's like, heck, yes, I am. So the reason I draw attention to that is because she had carried around in this thing that is an identity, the way she had thought about herself for, I want to say she was probably, I don't know, 23, 24, 25 when we were working on this together. I think at least 25, actually. And, um... And it took a few days for that belief to be entirely undone. And she realized that her identity was incorrect. That she could change that experience of life that was being perpetuated, created, perpetuated, supported, maintained by her identity. And she noticed that her identity was incorrect. And after only one week of dedicating a small period of time that that belief fell away and it was no longer part of who she is. And it never actually was part of who she actually is. It was just part of who she thought she was. So we go back to this other person that I was working with a few days ago when she said, I'm just not an off-the-cuff sort of person. And yet, the, in the very moment that she was speaking that to me as though it were absolute certain truth, I drew her attention to the experience that she had had that very day where she had actually been the opposite of what she thought she was. So I will never leave the conversation of drawing attention to the difference between who I am and who I thought I was or who I think I am. Because all suffering comes from who I think I am. And when we start to become observant of that, when we start to see who I think I am from a position of observation... Well, that naturally drops us out of the experience of who I think I am and into an experience of observing. And what is doing the observing? Well, there are different places that we can observe from. We can observe from our identity. We can do an intellectual observation. But we also can observe from something underneath our identity. And that is what occurs when our mind's quiet. Our identity exists in our brain. It does not exist anywhere else. Who we are exists in the spiritual truth of who we are, the spiritual being that lives inside each one of us. So that is why in every one of these conversations, I will naturally go back to what it was that helped me identify the difference between who I am and who I thought I was, and didn't just help me identify it, but helped me experience it. So I'm going to go back to a momentary conversation around the brief death experience. And again, I refer to that as a brief death experience, not as a near death experience, because it wasn't near death, it was death briefly. And What happens when you are not alive is that your physical experience is not present. It's not happening. So if you find yourself not alive and yet still having an experience, that experience is coming from something other than your physical. It's coming from somewhere other than your brain. And that's why it's important to understand that it's not near death. It's death briefly, brief death experience. So there are two sources of experience. One of them is our physical brain. And one of them is the spiritual truth of who we are. And when our brain gets quiet enough, we then are having an experience from another source. And that is the source that resides inside us, resides underneath who we think we are. And that is, that source is actually who we are. So when our identities get silent, we get to live from a different place. And that place is peaceful. That place is understanding. That place is not limited by the identity. And I will, you know, I'll talk about this over and over and over again. And hopefully every time you hear it or you hear someone else speaking of it, it will resonate with you as, oh, huh, that makes sense. I can feel that. And every time you feel it, if you have a sense of what it is, the actual truth of it, that you are a spiritual being having a physical experience and that spiritual being can provide some of the experience you're having in this physical world, then the knowing of that will be accompanied by the feeling of what that is. And you will feel lighter, You will feel relieved. You will notice that all the things in life look different. You will notice that you feel different when you're doing anything. You will notice an increased sense of ease, peace, enjoyment, gratitude, understanding, love, whatever we want to call it. You will notice that. Now, I may have mentioned this on a previous podcast, but I'm going to mention it again because it's worth mentioning. We get so caught in our identities that we think the way we see things is actually the way they are. And we tend to project our experience of how things are, or how we're perceiving them to be, onto everyone else. And that leaves us looking at everyone else and saying things like, well, why are they doing that? That doesn't make any sense. Well, of course it doesn't make sense to us. We wouldn't do it because it wouldn't occur to us to do it. But it does occur to them to do it because their experience of life is completely different than ours. So I'm going to share a quick story of one time this occurred for me. And it occurred for me a lot, but one of these was particularly funny and clear. I'm driving down the road, and again, I may have shared this story on a previous podcast, but it doesn't matter. It's worth sharing again, and I will probably share it again later. So I'm driving down the road with my bride. <clears throat> That's Jill, my wife. I, I call her my bride. And uh, I had this feeling of tension inside me, which I always had. And I would look outside myself to try to find the cause of that feeling of tension that was living inside me. And I looked over at her in the car, and I could tell that she was thinking about me. And she was thinking something negative about me at the time. And uh, it, it it contributed to that feeling of tension that I was experiencing. And I'm like, "What what are you thinking about? Because I wanted to get to the bottom of it. And she looked over like she was surprised by the question and said, well, I'm, I'm not thinking about anything. And I said, well, that's not possible. So why don't you stop lying and tell me what you're thinking about? She said, no, no, I, I really, I, I'm not thinking of anything. It's just kind of empty space up there. And I said, that's not possible. So tell me the truth. And, and it became something of a fight entirely instigated by me. And it wasn't until a good deal of time later, after I experienced Quiet Mind, which up until that point in my life, I did not know was available, I remembered back to this experience and went, oh my gosh, she was telling the truth. That is crazy. She really was not thinking anything. And that is one of the gifts that she has gone through life with, the ability to experience a quiet mind and experience the peaceful uh, feeling that is available to us when our minds are quiet. And up until the point where I recognize the difference between identity, who I think I am, and the spiritual truth of who I am, I did not get to experience that. Now, they're not the same thing. And identity, we don't, we rarely, rarely in the understanding of it ever go far enough to clearly identify what it is. If it's coming from your brain, it is identity. That's why we are incapable of understanding spiritual things from an intellectual perspective, because the moment we go back into our brains, we leave spiritual understanding behind. This is also why I say that the highest and most noble role that our brain can ever fill is to serve as translator for the truth, wisdom, insight that rises up from within. So the spiritual truth of who we are has many names. Understanding, wisdom, insight are some of those names, some of the words we've used to describe it. And when those things are, when that spiritual truth of who we are is trying to contribute some truth to our physical experience the quieter our brains are the more likely we will be able to hear it and if we know what's occurring we can allow our brain to serve as translator to bring that understanding as clearly as it can into our physical experience thereby impacting our physical experience in a very, very positive, helpful way. So again, the greatest role that our brains can serve is to act as translator for that which rises from within. And that is very different than using our brains as a tool to try to figure out what's wrong with us. Because first of all, the self that we're trying to solve is not who we are. It is our identity. And that identity has been formed not just by the individual beliefs that we think about ourselves, not just by our environment, not just by our parents or the community in which we grew up, but by everything that has contributed to everything that has influenced us. So in order to understand people's identities, we need to go back to not just their parents, but to every single thing that contributed to their parents' identities, every single thing that contributed to the identities of those around us, it's just such a deep and complex thing that to try to understand identity from identity is not possible. It can be helpful. It can serve some purpose. It can be powerful in some way, but it is not close to what's available. When we allow our minds to become completely silent, again, this is why meditation is so powerful. I am a huge Beatles fan. I love the Beatles. I think it's incredible that four people with such depth of understanding, depth of musical ability, ability to write and sing and play and be unified and create and all that stuff. It happened one time. It will never happen again. Uh, the Beatles were a not a once in a lifetime experience. They were once in the history of the world type of experience. And uh, one of the things I love to do is watch videos uh, on YouTube of the Beatles talking about their experience. And after they spent uh, time in India with the Maharishi, uh, Mahesh Yogi, I believe was his name, um, they came back and they got interviewed. Uh, there's, there's one interview in particular, I've watched it a couple of times, it's, it's really cool. It's, uh, I believe it is David Frost on the Frost Report is interviewing both uh, George Harrison and John Lennon. And he's asking them, you know, what does meditation do? And they have no idea what it does. They just notice that they feel better when they do it. And John Lennon's like, you know, I don't really know why why it does what it does. This is my poor attempt at a John Lennon voice and accent. Um, I just noticed that the things that used to be difficult for me uh, are not, you know, the the days that used to be hard aren't, aren't as hard anymore, so... That's uh, that's why I do it. And yeah, of course they're not. Because when you meditate, it quiets the mind. It quiets the identity and opens up a gap for the spiritual truth of who we are to become a participant in our experience, to become part of the source of our experience. And the spiritual truth of who we are is understanding. And when our minds quiet and open up, understanding rises to the surface and allows us to see life in a different way. And so the experiences that we're having, although externally, if we were to look at them externally, they're the same. I wake up, I brush my teeth, I go here, I go there. But how we experience them from a place of peace and understanding changes everything about them. So I think I've talked for long enough today and, and the discussion around identity could go on forever. But what we're looking for is for it to fall out of the intellectual space fall out of the area of trying to figure out what identity is and instead notice that when our mind's quiet, we see our perception of who we are for what it is. We see it as external to us, not who we are, just who we think we are. And then this ego and in the words of sydney banks with all its problems and all its inhibitions and he said this is where the the big problem lies is this image this ego this image of self-importance and again it does want to make itself important that's one of the things the ego does it wants to be important it wants to be right it wants to be in control it isn't who we are and we think it is. And when we notice it for what it is, we become friends with it. We become grateful for our brains, for the experience that they provide to us in this life. And I don't want to get all, again, woo-woo California spiritual where you're, you're just dismissing your brain as not who you are. It is the provider of this reality. It is the provider of this physical reality. And when we become friends with it, it becomes a gift to us. And we get to steer it rather than being steered by it. To think the thoughts that we want to think rather than the ones we think we have to think because of the previous input that has gone into our identities. My wife on some level knew that when I was sitting in the car with her. She may not have known the exact detail of how it was working, but she knew that quiet mind was available to her and she loved the feeling of it. So when I looked over to her and said, what are you thinking? And she said, nothing. She wasn't lying. She was really thinking nothing. And when people ask me now about one of the greatest gifts of knowing and having experienced the difference between who I am and who I think I am, That's it. That's the one I identify. It's the ability to be going through mundane daily activities like driving somewhere, sitting on a couch, looking out the window, and having that experience come from quiet mind and noticing the beauty of that feeling that's available to all of us all the time. That is the state of meditation. That is the lifestyle of yoga. That is the thing that everyone seeks. And it's available when we experientially know the difference between who we are and who we think we are. That is the great knowing, and the knowing that will have the greatest impact on our experience of life. Thanks for listening, and have a great day.